Chapter Twelve of Campfire Girls in the Country by Stella M. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. A Sequel to the Secret. But there is a sequel to this secret, Aunt Hannah continued after a few moments' pause. I haven't told you who the minor legatee was that tried so hard to make trouble for your uncle over the estate. His name was Percy Tysh, a son of my husband's half-brother, Orlin Tysh. Percy was about twenty-five years old and a circus man by profession. I never liked him or his father, although I had seen them only a few times. Orlin died before your Uncle Edmund. Percy visited at our house half a dozen times during the last ten or twelve years, but he always came uninvited and remained only a short while. But that isn't the sequel I referred to. It is something more interesting. When those two scoundrels began their pretended fight on the public square yesterday to get the people worked up to such a pitch of excitement that the pickpockets might find a field of easy victims— I thought there was something familiar in the face and form of the smaller man. I watched him closely to determine if my suspicions were true or not. The longer I watched, the more confident I became that I was not mistaken. My suspicion was strongly reinforced as the evidence of his athletic skill increased. I looked carefully for a good view of his features. Then when he sprang up on the shoulders of the larger man and balanced himself there for half a minute, I needed no further evidence. Nobody but an acrobat could have performed such a feat, and moreover, while he stood balanced on the shoulders of his supposed adversary, I got an excellent view of his countenance. There was no doubt of it. He was my late husband's nephew, Percy Tysh. Why, he must be a professional crook, said Hazel, shocked at the idea of such a person's being a relative of hers. "'Of course he is,' Aunt Hannah replied. "'And you don't know what humiliation I felt at the disgrace it must heap upon me "'if the fact should become known that a near relative of my husband's "'was one of the leaders in that awful affair.' "'What I can't understand,' Hazel continued, "'is why a man of his ability and skill should throw away his opportunities for an honorable success.' and devote his time and energies to such an unprincipled occupation. Ah, uh, returned Aunt Hannah slowly, and with a significant accent, right there is where you have much to learn about life. Women, as a rule, don't learn much of this phase of human affairs, or if they do, the knowledge they acquire is so contrary to their feminine ideals that the result is usually bewilderment and intolerant confusion. But the new woman is not going to be so easily confused. Schooled in a new civic education of which the Campfire Girls organization is a worthy exponent, she will have so much strength and system of character and intelligence in her makeup that, that, well, it will be a cold day when she will be guilty of marrying a penniless title or quitting high school to go on the stage. I'm not sure that I see the connection, Auntie. Hazel said. The connection is entirely abstract, Mrs. Hutchins answered. I mean to say that the girl with a good common-sense education 
gathers much more rapidly an understanding and appreciation of the ways of the world than the girl who is satisfied with the butterfly existence. In other words, to get back to our subject, do you mean that a girl of ordinarily good intelligence ought to understand why it is possible for men of strong and even brilliant intellects to be thoroughly dishonest? Hazel inquired. I wouldn't say that she ought to understand why such a thing is possible, Aunt Hannah replied, but she ought to know that it is true, and also that it is possible for women to make the same big mistakes in life that many men make. If I had taken this thing as seriously before your Uncle Edmund died, I would first of all have had more interest in my husband's business affairs before his mind began to weaken. Moreover, I might even have been able to supply for him a business companionship that would have prevented him from slipping into a mental collapse. And if I had been more alert to the dangers that are ambushed about important duties postponed, I would have forgotten all about the Fourth of July and the celebration until that letter was deciphered. Now I am afraid it has fallen into the hands of the very person who would make use of it to my hurt more quickly than anyone else. He may already have those securities in his possession. You mean Percy Teich? I do. But how could he have gotten hold of the letter? You forget, Hazel, that he was one of the band of bad men who evidently worked together in a thoroughly organized manner. Undoubtedly they compared notes afterward, and if the scoundrel who stole my handbag kept the letter that he took out of it, he may quite possibly have produced that letter at the meeting where they exchanged mutual congratulations over their success. But why should they want to keep such a thing as a letter? Hazel inquired. Now you are exhibiting some real ignorance of the ways of the world, said Aunt Hannah with a smile. Don't you see that it is very likely that a professional crook, who makes a study of his business the way those men evidently did, would like nothing better than to get possession of the private correspondence of a wealthy woman which might contain tips of how to get his hands onto some of her money? You surely are a wise woman, Hazel remarked admiringly. Really, Auntie, I don't believe you are to be blamed for this misfortune. It is just plain bad luck which can overtake anybody. Now, Hazel, protested Mrs. Hutchins severely. Just on account of that remark of yours, I'm going to give you a lecture. Get ready, for it's going to be right straight from the shoulder. End of chapter 12